Welcome to the Sharing Life Ministries Sermon of the Week. We hope that you were blessed by this message from Pastor Lawrence Romali. Father, we just thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you for the encouragement, the guidance, the nurture that you bring to your children. We thank you for the joy that you release. And I thank you for the freedom to be a house in the center of town where you dwell, you reside, and you move. And you have the freedom to be all that you desire to be right here. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome. Continue, continue, continue. I thank you for empowering and positioning the man of God in this house that you have to bring the word this morning. I thank you for his diligence to study and show himself approved, Lord, that no matter if he meets with thousands or just one, there's always something that he has, some nugget of truth, some word of wisdom or experience from knowledge, a knowledge from experience, Lord, that he can impart. And I thank you for the work he's doing, not just on Sunday morning, God, but every day of the week. There's someone to meet with every day week. There's so much more going on out of this ministry than right here on Sunday morning. So much more. And I thank you for the strength you've given him to run the race. And I thank you for his faithfulness to study and release the word that you've given him for this morning, Lord. And I thank you. You'll use it in our lives for our good and your glory. Jesus' majestic name. The name above all names, Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. We're going to be back in Second Peter after a Mother's Day message from Christine Atkinson. And if you missed that, I would encourage you to go to your favorite podcast site and search for Sharing Life Ministries Sermon of the Week and listen to her message. It was a great encouragement. And if you've missed part of what we've been teaching from Second Peter, well, they're there too. You miss a week, go, catch up, because they build upon each other. And so today, we've made it to chapter two. After six weeks, it's taken us six weeks to get to chapter two because we're, every word is important. Every word. And we've been digging into it. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your word that we might know you better that we might know who you truly are, and that as we learn who you are, we will learn who we are and our purpose. And Lord, so often we, we wonder, Lord, what, what is my purpose? What do you have for me? What am I supposed to be doing? And it's here. It's here. So we thank you for your word. Let my words explain it well, accurately, truthfully. And let our ears hear it and our hearts receive it. And then our feet go and take us to do it. We thank you. We praise you for all that you have for us. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Yesterday, yesterday was, fifth, uh, was a full year, one full year since I met Pastor Susan. A year. And through an online prayer meeting, didn't think much of it at the time. But in that year, we've come to know each other really, really well. And as we went for a really long walk yesterday and we were talking about things and kind of reviewing what's gone on in the last year, that was the part that was kind of amazing, that in one year's time, we have come to know each other really, really, really well. That didn't happen by spending an hour together once a week. That didn't happen by having a weekly Zoom meeting. It came by spending time together. And if you want to know the Lord and you want Him to know you, you need to spend a lot of time together. Amen. It will not just happen. You need to spend a lot of time together, personal time. Time talking, time listening. You need to spend a lot of time together. I would just want to encourage you with that, with that this morning, uh, that God has this deep, deep relationship for us. He desires to have with us. He says, come to me. Come, spend time with me. It will not just happen. Could he make it happen? <laughs> yes, he could. But that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. So he draws us in. He says, come to me. Come, come. Sit at my feet. Listen. Learn about me. Put off those things that misrepresent me. Draw close. Today we're in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. As we've dug into this, Peter has told us how to grow in our faith, that we're to make every effort to add. He stressed that the Lord has given us everything we need to grow in Him. He tells us about the importance of doing so, so that we will not be ineffective and unproductive, and it's so that we will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom. He reminds us that he's reminding us so that we will remember. He makes clear the basis of our faith in such things. His eyewitness account and the scriptures which foretold of the events which Peter then witnessed. As important as those words are to you and to me, Peter now gives us some words of warning. We're going to start at chapter 1, verse 21. And just so you know, chapters, they're a recent addition to our Bibles. 
These, this letter wasn't written. You don't write a letter to somebody with chapters. They were added. So sometimes the chapters are put in in a place that kind of gets in the middle of a thought. I don't know why they are where they are, but they are. But sometimes we have to go back a little bit just to get some continuity. So start, starting in verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing self bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. For that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. False prophets, false teachers. They are here today. They were there in Peter's time. Right. Much of what they say makes sense. It sounds appealing, attractive. How do you know what to believe? How do you know? Verse 1 tells us that false teachers have always existed they will uh, secretly introduce seductive heresies. A heresy is an opinion or a doctrine or teaching that is in opposition to accepted teaching. Let me say that again. A heresy is an opinion or a doctrine or teaching that is in opposition to accepted teaching. Some examples. Judaizers. Judaizers taught that to be Christian, you first had to become Jewish. That you had to obey the Jewish laws and customs, specifically circumcision. You had to celebrate the feast. It was, in fact, Jesus plus theology. You do all these things 
and add Jesus for salvation. But Scripture tells us that our salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone and not by works. This is accepted Christian teaching. We see this throughout Scripture. We find this teaching in Galatians chapter 5, that it's by faith. Our salvation is by faith. We find it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Another heresy is Gnosticism. Gnostics taught that anything physical was evil and that only the spiritual was good. And Gnosticism taught that Jesus only appeared to be human. He only appeared to be human. But Jesus was fully human. Fully human. He was fully human and fully God. We can't fully wrap our minds um, around that. But that's what we're taught from Scripture. Jesus experienced all the hurts, the trials, the difficulties, the temptations that we experience. He experienced them all. But he did it without ever sinning. If he only appeared to live a perfect life, then he only appeared to be our substitute. It destroys the power of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22 says, For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. The word makes it clear. These might be meaningless heresies to you. But how about this one? The prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. We can think of that as a new thing, but it's not new. It's been around for a long time, and we can read Paul's response to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 13. Paul writes, Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. 
When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we kindly answer. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. The prosperity gospel is more about money than just money. It's the teaching that with faith, there is no sickness, no poverty, no trials, no persecution. It takes a truth and expands it to the point that it becomes an untruth. It takes it beyond what Scripture teaches. Does God heal today? Yes. Does he provide? Yes. But we live in a world that is broken and burdened with sin. Someday, as Paul says, someday, when all things are restored, death will be defeated, as will all sickness, poverty, and every work of the enemy. As for now, we live in this place of tension, a tension between this world and the next. We live in a kingdom that is here, but not fully yet here. You have to deny a whole lot of scripture to believe the prosperity gospel. Oh, it sounds good. It's desirable. It's appealing But when difficulties come, when difficulties come, well, then what? Then what? Did your faith suddenly disappear? It's a false gospel. Pelagianism, I probably pronounced that wrong, taught that we are born innocent without sin and that salvation comes through us, calling out to God and then God answering our call or responding. That we call out to God and God responds to us. And you may think right now, well, isn't, isn't that what happens? Isn't that what happens? Don't I cry out to God? God comes save me and God comes and then does it? Don't we suddenly come to our senses and ask Jesus into our heart? Didn't I choose God? No. No, in fact, our sin is so overpowering, so imprisoning, that if God didn't intercede and draw us to himself, we would never think, we would never think on our own of getting right with him. We don't accept God. Who are we to accept God? Who are we to think that we do that? No, God draws men and women to himself. God calls us. God wakes us up and says, what are you doing? Do you see 
the futility of your sin? Do you see the path that you're walking down? Do you see where you're at? Come to me. And then he gives us the ability to do it. He draws us in. And the word for God drawing us to himself is a word that is used for a a fish in a net that are pulled into a boat. And anyone who's gone fishing knows that a fish does not want to get caught and drawn into the boat. They fight, they struggle, they try to get away, and that's us. We're not the ones that are saying, I think I'll give God a try. My life's a mess. I think I'm going to turn from my sin. No. We're trying to get away from God as fast as we possibly can. God calls us. We don't call him. John 6, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. That's truth. That's the truth of the word. Why does it matter? Because there's a huge difference between deciding to give God a try and God drawing us out of our sin. When we make it about us, then we come to God on our terms. His commands are suddenly not so important. They're less like laws and more like suggestions. And it often leaves us more likely to fall away if God doesn't perform like we expect him to. This last heresy is rampant in our churches today. It's destructive because it's a lie, a false gospel. It's seductive because it's so appealing. I can have salvation and keep my sin. I might lie some of it down, but there's a couple things I want to keep. A couple things I kind of like. So I want salvation. I want Jesus as a Savior without having him as a Lord. I believe the lie. I believe the lie because I believe that I chose God, not the other way around. I come to him on my terms, not his God chooses us. In fact, Scripture says that he bought us out of slavery to sin. He bought us. Bought us. <coughs> False teachers exploit people through their teaching. They gain fame and fortune because their message is attractive. It's desirable. We buy their books, attend their conferences, We promote their teachings. Verse 2 said, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So the truth of the word becomes a lie in people's minds. And the lie becomes truth. And then we go and we confuse other people. 
When the church promotes a life contrary to the true gospel, it misleads and turns many away. And it legitimatizes a false teaching. Verse 3 says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. They will suffer for their teaching. God will not overlook the false teaching. And you may wonder, why doesn't he just take care of it now? How am I to know what is truth? Trust that he knows. Trust that he has a plan. Trust that God knows what he's doing. He'll take care of it. He'll take care of it. And just like today, there were many false teachers in Peter and Paul's day. We find this account in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God in Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul 
brought him to Athens and then left him with instructions and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Things really haven't changed, have they? They really haven't changed. There were all kinds of teachings out there. But Paul affirms the Bereans because they searched the scriptures to find out if what Paul was teaching lined up with God's word. Once again, it says in verse 11 of Acts, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They examined the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. We can be lazy. We can be gullible. Advertisers know this. (laughs) That's why they say things like, best on the market, or better tasting then, or it's the product you deserve. And we go, yes, yes, I do. Yeah. When we hear a teaching, we need to look at the whole of Scripture and not just a verse taken out of context. God gave us his word so that we can know his truth. 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 People who teach and believe and promote heresies are called heretics. The Scottish theologian William Barclay wrote, A heretic is anyone who believes what he wishes to believe, rather than accepting the truth of God, which he must believe. Look at that again. A heretic is anyone who believes what he wishes to believe, rather than accepting the truth of God, which he must believe. Heresy can be subtle, very subtle. And unless we're in the word, we will gradually drift away from truth. Little by little by little. A half-truth is not truth. Truth is truth. A half-truth or a partial truth is a lie. We know that as parents, (laughs) don't we? A half-truth never flies with your mom or dad. Truth is truth. Verse 1 says that some will even deny the Lord who bought them. Bought them. We were bought out of slavery to sin. Bought. We don't like that. We don't like that idea. We don't like that thought. We don't like that concept. We were bought. And to think that God bought me, well, now my ability to do things on my own, that's gone. Other than what he gives me, the freedom he gives me, 
If we think that we came to God on our own terms, we're free to come and go, do what we want. It's a vast difference. So let's take a look at how this all works. I am teaching all of this letter, all of 2 Peter. But I could just teach a part of it. And that would make the teaching, or could make the teaching, totally different. So look back to the beginning of this letter, beginning of chapter 1. We see Peter speaking about our part in our walk. We could quickly begin to make it about us, all that we do. We could easily take God out of our lives and make it all about us being and growing into a better person. If I convince you that you are a good person, then what would you have to do to change? Why would you need a savior? But take time to go back and look at chapter 1. Peter's writing to those who have received faith. Received. It's a gift from God. They received their faith through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it goes on saying that Jesus has given us everything we need for a godly life. It says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power, Jesus' divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He called us. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, through his promises, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter is making it clear that this is all about Jesus. All about Jesus. But if you take out these first couple of verses and start with make every effort to add, I have a self-help book that sets you up to strive and get exhausted and discouraged and set you up to have a false assurance of your salvation. You would end up living a pretty good life in your own strength and miss the transforming, saving power of Jesus. It is so easy to slip into false teaching because it's attractive and it's appealing. Because it puts us in control. It puts us in control. And these lies, these heresies, they're coming out of the church. That's what Peter was encountering. That's what Paul was encountering. Heresies coming out of the church. When you hear lies coming from someone who's an unbeliever, unsaved, you're automatically suspicious. You consider them. But when it comes out of the church... And we say, okay.
When a lie comes from someone that you have an expectation that you can trust, you have a tendency to trust it just because you heard it, because you walked through the doors of the church, because someone has a title next to their name. And you say, okay. And then you share it because this is, this is exciting. We have to consider what comes from teacher, from some author, from some presenter at a conference, some counselor, just because it says Christian counselor or Christian conference or Christian anything. Consider, is this truth? How do I know? Be a Berean. Be a Berean. The Bereans, they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was teaching was true. The most tragic heresy that there could be is one who denies who Jesus is, that denies that he's God, that denies that he lived a perfect sinless life, that denies that he's risen from the dead, that denies that he's the only way to God. Verse 2 says that many will follow their depraved teaching. Many. Peter goes on to say that they will suffer the consequences of their teaching. False prophets and false teachers will not go unpunished. Peter calls them liars exploiters, greedy, and depraved. Peter goes on to give us an example of God's faithfulness in that. Verses 4 through 8 says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to to ashes and made them example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul, by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. God will judge. He will make all things right. He will restore all that's been taken. Peter once again goes back into the scriptures to provide us with examples. God judged his angels. Scripture tells us that one-third of the angels rebelled with Satan, and God cast them out of heaven cast them out. God judged the world for its wickedness and flooded the earth and only Noah and his family were saved. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and their inhabitants were judged and they were destroyed by fire. Only Lot 
and his family were saved. If God judged the ungodly and the wicked, then he will be sure to judge them now. If God could rescue the righteous, then he can rescue the righteous now. God is good. God is faithful. God is just. Perfectly just. He knows the hearts of men. So why isn't he judging the false teachers now? Well, who says that he isn't? Who says that he isn't? It's not your concern. That is not your concern. You and I need to be concerned about what we are teaching, what we are proclaiming as words from God. Be sure that what you speak and what you follow is coming from God and his truth and is aligning with his word. Verse 9 says, If this is so, God's faithfulness in punishing the wicked and saving the just. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. God will judge justly, perfectly. We can trust God. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Know that false teachers are teaching subtle heresies. Subtle. Are you being like the Bereans in searching the scriptures to see if what you're being taught is true? That is true for what I teach. It's true for what Pastor Susan teaches. It's true for what that person on the internet is teaching. If the teaching doesn't line up with Scripture, the whole of Scripture, then don't listen to it. Don't be entertained by it. Be a Berean. God has given you his word and he's given you his spirit. Just like the Bereans, that is where you need to put your trust. Not in a man, not in a woman. What we believe about God affects our relationship with him. Whether we trust him, whether we're willing to rely on him, whether we obey him. Our relationship with God is the most, relation, most important relationship that we can have. We must protect that relationship passionately Amen. and grow it relentlessly. Yes. Anything or anyone that threatens it must go out of our lives. I am called to love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and to praise God through Jesus. God gives us all, all, all that we need to do so. All. Be a Berean. 
takes some work. takes some effort. He's given us all that we need. All. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We thank you that we can look back and see that it has been preserved accurately for us through the thousands of years that it's existed. And we can trust it. And Lord, it can seem hard to understand at times. It can seem hard to follow. But you tell us that your spirit is a teacher and a counselor who opens up the scriptures to us that we can understand. So Lord, let us be diligent and intentional to open up your word, to dig into it, to see if what's taught is true. What taught is what lines up with scripture, with your word. That we would be intentional about having godly teachers over us. And that we would be intentional about teaching accurately your word. Lord, this is your promise to us. As we step out and become like the Bereans, do what you promised to do. That we would be a strong, powerful, committed community of believers that stands on your word. That we would not be strayed. We would not stray. That we would not be deceived. That we would not be seduced. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to teach one another. Help us to grow together as a community, as a family, for your purposes, for your glory. And that we might just extend and promote and advance your kingdom through the preaching of your word. So we thank you. We praise you for all that you're doing in us, around us, and through us. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Thank you for listening. Sharing Life Ministries is located at the Life Center, 48 West 2nd Avenue, Ridgely, West Virginia, or follow us on Facebook.